Welcome to the Future of Money podcast by the Digital Euro Association. In this podcast, you will learn about the disruption of technology in the monetary and financial system. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the episode. I'm very, very happy to introduce you to Silvia Atanasio, who is head of innovation at the Italian Banking Association, and also Emrita Camporeale, who's head of payment systems at the Italian Banking Association. So thanks again, Silvia and Rita, for joining us. I'm really, really looking forward to your, your presentation. So I will basically now give um, the stage, uh, stage to you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jonas. Thank you for uh, inviting us and for uh, us to share our, uh, our experience. I start sharing the screen. Um, our presentation would be basically uh, divided in, in three in three parts where uh, the uh, Italian banks started working on DLT, I mean the, the Spunta project and a very short description of this first part, part of work. Then we come into the position of Italian banks um, and the answer we provided to the public consultation started from the ECB. And finally, we will conclude with the activities we are um, uh, we are conducting, uh, experimenting around the idea and the concept of a digital euro. So uh, the um, the Spunta project started with a double perspective. We started in 1917. Uh, sorry, sorry, in 2017. <laughs> I'm becoming older and older. No, in uh, in 2017, <laughs> uh, with uh, the idea of ver very fine and trying to understand on a, on a practical way uh, if it was true that every uh, promises that uh, has been made around the distributed ledger technology were applicable uh, to uh, a, a banking um, system. So we started with the, the idea to experiment and use an innovative technology, trying to understand the swift in, in the paradigm that is uh, um, implied by, by this technology. And at the same time, we create an infrastructure able to support and able to host uh, several initiatives. So the goal was to have a, a common track network, let me say, where several initiatives were be able to travel even in competition uh, among them. So we started decide, uh, designing this infrastructure in parallel with the, uh, with the application layer, which was strictly related to the Spunta process. And uh, the, uh, the idea has been uh, both of uh, matching the needs of the bank themselves and uh, to um, at the same time to dialogue with the authorities and especially with the Bank of Italy that has been um, during all the project open to our questions and to our uh, doubts and difficulties because uh, I can say that one of the first projects uh, aiming to um, go into production with an entire process uh, redesign using DLT uh, has been has been quite difficult and we had to to be able to to fail fast uh, let me say. 
just a quick uh, introduction to the Spunta process, uh, which is um, an interbank reconciliation uh, process. So uh, it is related to uh, matching correspondent or let me say bilateral accounts that are uh, co-owned by two different banks. And the main uh, limit uh, of this process as the main problem of this process was that um, the, uh, the reconciliation procedure is related to the exchange of data set from the two banks and the ownership of the, um, of the account switches from one bank to another every almost two or three years. And as long as I am the owner of the bilateral account, I can see all the information related to, the, to this account, the balance, the movements, etc. And I'm also responsible to conduct the investigation for every mismatch. When the ownership switches to the other bank, I stop seeing everything. So if I need, for example, for the quarterly report that uh, has to be uh, produced every, every three months, uh, I need to call or to send an email to my counterparties to uh, ask uh, the balance of uh, my bilateral accounts. So this has been changed, of course, thanks to uh, the DLT. And uh, here you can see the main pros and cons when we decided to start with the Spunta process as the first implementation of DLT. Uh, one of the strengths has been that Spunta is a very um, small process, it's an internal process. Sometimes we call it a Cinderella in the, in the bank's back offices. Uh, it doesn't involve final customers. This is a, a, good, um, uh, a good point because uh, banks has been uh, safe in experimenting such a, a, an immature technology, especially at that time, without the risk to impact in any way the final customers. Uh, it is a sort of baseline for, uh, or, or it's, it is the endpoint of a lot of um, other processes. So it is possible to understand working on this process, uh, additional use cases that can be devised for, for the future. Uh, it is also a sort of natural uh, sandbox because the Italian Banking Association is the issuer of the self-regulatory agreement that rules the spunta. So at the end of the uh, project phase of the work, we've been able to update together with the, the banks and to the uh, governance of the uh, of the ABI itself to define the new text of the agreement and to issue it. So this def defining uh, and, and pushing the red button to uh, transform a, a very old style process based on tapes in, in the agreement uh, to a DLT based one. And uh, the last point is that since Spunta was a simple process, quite simple, but in the beginning we were sure it was simpler. Uh, the pilot activities were completed uh, swiftly and, and quite quickly. So we, we, we moved into the pre-production stage quite quickly. Of course, to work on a small process is at the same time uh, a cons for, for the project because it has been uh, not easy to see uh, and to uh, quantify the benefits in, in terms of business. And in some way, it is quite pervasive from an IT point of view. So some optimization and the standardization of the data set required to, uh, to go deep in a lot of silos, 
often uh, cobble-based system into, into the IT of, of a bank. So here you can see the, um, the journey of a two-year uh, project. Of course, the, the timeline is affected from the stage and the maturity of DLT at that time. When we decided, for example, to use uh, Corda, it was at his 0.9 version. So it, it, it was, we, we needed to work on, on performance, on tuning of the application, on optimization of the, um, uh, especially when we came to scalability issues. Uh, but some, some number, uh, some figures on what we, where we are now. Uh, now we have 98 banks in production. And this is very important from my perspective, not only because of the number, but because this means that we involve from very big banks, we can say European cha uh, champions, to very, very small banks. So DLT uh, with the Spunta project became a matter not only for giants, but also for, uh, for smaller banks. Uh, we uh, processed uh, 30, 332 million transactions in the last year. And uh, the 98% uh, of those uh, movements has been automatically matched. Uh, now we have in place um, around 600 bilateral accounts and every day 600 operator of the uh, 98 banks uh, use the DLT application to um, uh, pro to, to, to work on, on their process. So, so it is their daily application. They, the, the banks switched off their previous process, uh, systems for this uh, process. The main benefits the banks found in, in this project is uh, the first one about transparency. They now have the full visibility of all the information related to the account, Nostro and Vostro. Uh, the automatic match rate has increased and the communication channel has been integrated in the application. So even the um, uh, investigation phase is uh, based on DLT transaction. Uh, now I want to give the floor to, to Rita to move to um, the, our position on, on the digital euro. Uh, Rita, I can hear you. see you, Rita. Me neither. Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay. So thank you to the organizers to, um, for inviting us to present our uh, experience and uh, position. Uh, and uh, uh, you have just listened to what we, uh, as Italian Banking Association, have been doing. Uh, let's put that in the wider context. What's happening um, in, in the same, more or less in the same period, uh, when the ECB started um, reflecting, as many other central banks have been doing, and also the private sector has been doing, uh, on the possibility to issue digital forms of money. And the first time we learn officially that the ECB uh, is um, exploring the possibility of uh, uh, issuing a digital euro um, um, was a, um, a speech by Mr. Mersch in May uh, 2020. 
And um, Mr. Mersch concluded that, of course, there was a lot to understand and to uh, study about the digital euro, uh, but if and when the time comes, uh, we want to be ready, and let me ensure you, we will be ready. Um, so, um, even though the central banks um, say that there's not a business case for a central bank digital currency issuance, uh, still they want to be ready. Um, from the latest, uh, as you may very well know, from the latest survey uh, of the BIS, we learn that 86% of the central banks in the world are exploring digital currencies. Uh, and uh, we also know all the discussion and experimentations about the stable coins. So definitely the, and the acceleration in this process is, uh, is continuing. So uh, at, at the same time, and just after the, the statement by Mr. Mersch, um, based on the experience we have been um, um, gathering, thanks to the Spunta project that Silvia explained, um, the banks in Italy uh, agreed uh, to set up an expert group uh, to explore digital money and crypto assets. And um, 10 principles were approved already in June last year uh, that, of course, were then developed when we answered to the consultation uh, of the European Central Bank on the report for a digital euro. And as you very well know, the report was published in uh, October 2020. It was open to, um, for um, public consultation until um, January. And um, a few days ago, uh, the central bank, the, the ECB, published a, a report on the consultation itself, uh, which, uh, of course, gives us an overview of the main concerns and interests of the, both citizens and professional respondents to the, um, about digital euro. Uh, I don't go through the, the whole um, report nor our response, uh, but just to um, say what are the key pillars uh, that um, represent Abby's position and where we continue our work on. The first assumption is that the digital euro must be functionally different from an electronic payment instrument with different features to enable specific use cases. We don't see a digital euro like an instant payment because we already have that and probably we don't need a digital euro just to pay in a supermarket with our mobile phone. So uh, this, of course, is also matter and uh, follows the, um, the consideration that not only our association, but many respondents made uh, in, in their answers to the consultation that digital euro should not um, disintermediate nor jeopardize the role of the banks uh, in the economic infrastructure of our world. Um, the, so in terms, of course, of monetary policy and financial stability, the insurance of CBDCs should not change the amount of money supply uh, 
and uh, would of course uh, be um, would need to be uh, considered in full as a part of, uh, I mean, a third kind of uh, um, central bank money, like bank reserves, banknotes, and coins. And indeed, the central banks, the European Central Bank, said that the um, CBDC uh, would be a aside banknote and coins and not replace them. The second um, pillar uh, of our response is that we uh, think that a DLT-based uh, digital euro would be a quantum leap in technology and allow something which is not um, achievable today in a simple manner. Uh, we have here a, a typical example of what we mean by that, um, that uh, DLT would allow a simplification of processes, um, for example, of a number of bonuses that are being uh, deployed by governments, uh, uh, especially after the pandemic. Um, and uh, uh, on the basis of programmability, um, we would have uh, much simpler and straightforward um, ways of exchanging transactions and, and complex process um, ways of uh, executing and discharging obligations uh, between different economic uh, agents. Um, and, and this would, of course, uh, be um, applicable also in, in a tiered system whereby the central bank issues the digital euro, but banks distribute it and while they distribute it they also offer value-added services to their customers um, so and the third pillar we have uh, for our uh, in, in our response is that the citizens must be aware of uh, uh, what they are paying with uh, so they should perceive the difference um, between a digital euro and commercial bank money, which they use for paying today. So clearly digital euro is just like today's euro uh, in a digitalized form, of course, but uh, the citizen should, be, should really understand uh, what happens. Um, and this could be possible even when integrating digital euro uh, in the front end of that would be offered by uh, by the banks um, so basically um, these are the the three pillars around which we uh, built our response to the um, to the ECB consultation uh, but we also offer our, um, we are fully available to further discuss with the ECB and in fact we had some follow-up with them, uh, but also um, available for experimenting um, uh, with them and in view of that very important phase that 
possibly will start uh, after a first decision, a first go no go decision by the governing council in June this year. Uh, we have been preparing for that. And I turn back to Silvia to explain uh, what we are doing. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, this is our vision. So we uh, are quite uh, optimistic and think that the digital euro is coming. So we believe that it would be important even even more uh, in, in relation to the to such a uh, great innovation to be ready and to un really understand the impact of this kind of transformation in the real life every day this is the reason why we started a first uh, let me say quite small experimentation around the idea of digital europe because as mr Merch said for the ecb italian banks want to be ready too if and when the digital euro will come. So we started uh, an experimentation together with 18 uh, Italian banks um, that is divided into um, uh, uh, work stream. The first pillar, the first work, work stream is related to the infrastructure and the distributed model. And the second pillar is related to programmability. Uh, in the first pillar, we uh, go back to our idea of the train track. So we uh, we think to an infrastructure that could be reused for different use cases and that has uh, a, key, a, a, a um, series of key components that can be uh, reused in the context of uh, an experimentation phase if the ECB will decide for it. So. Uh, we are working and we are completing a, an analysis document that um, uh, describe and try to understand the different components that have built for the Spunta project and in which way they can be usefully um, considered uh, as, as, a, as a reference or as a, 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 a concrete tool that can be reused in a context of a digital euro. The second pillar is related to uh, programmability. As Rita said, uh, one of our refrain in the uh, in the experimentation was that we we don't need a digital euro to uh, pay uh, a coffee with a uh, with a smartphone. We already be, are able to do this. We we want to understand so in which way a digital euro can transform our daily experience as citizens. So we started to uh, define a set of ideas and we found also four partners that support the uh, develop of, of uh, four demos. And together and working really strictly uh, with the E18 banks and with the different uh, function and different skills within each of these 18 banks, both from innovation, uh, credits, um, uh, payments department, uh, to understand in which way those demos can be leveraged on a programmable digital euro. So let me go through the four use cases very briefly. Uh, the first one is uh, called Safe Return. It has developed with the contribution of Fabric. 
It is a process of returning a purchase made through an e-commerce in a safe way. Uh, this, this use case want to um, power a different, uh, maybe small e-commerce in Europe based, uh, thanks to the, um, the trust that is related to the process of return. So uh, the, uh, we implemented a series of instructors that consent to make the process of returning purchased uh, goods more reliable and consumer friendly, uh, leveraging on an escrow account uh, managed by a bank. So at the time of the delivery of the, um, of the returned goods by the client, the sum of money is blocked in the escrow account and the sum can only be released uh, to the customer or to the seller when the, deci when the decision about the, the return has made. Uh, the, second, um, the second use case uh, is called pay and split. It has been developed by PwC and is related to the concept and to the functionality of split transaction. I mean, atomic and instantaneous transactions. So we applied this concept to the um, idea of the so-called short supply chains uh, that can use the function, this functionality. So um, a, a series of, um, of products, uh, of zero kilometer pro products can be bundled into, um, into a single, pro uh, in a composed process, um, sorry, um, product that can be sold with a single transaction that is divided to um, direct the payment to the seller of the, pro uh, of the product and to the various producers making up the supply chain. The third use case has been developed by Entity Data and is called Culture Pass. It is basically the use case that uh, Rita described uh, about the government bonus to uh, for for the culture pass and it the, one interesting is that in this case we can see that uh, a government bonus basically become a smart contract a simple smart contract so in Italy, for example, we have this bonus for a teenager turning 18 and they can buy uh, books with this bonus. And then we have another bonus, a similar one, um, to be honest, which is dedicated to teachers. And they can use this bonus uh, to buy, again, books. So bookshops are uh, involved in, two, uh, in both these bonuses, but the bonuses are issued by two different ministers. So the bookshops needs to uh, apply to both ministers, needs to require to both ministers to, for the bonus to be uh, transformed in, in liquidity. In this case, we have no, uh, issue, uh, no, no um, uh, process to be registered as, as an eligible bookshop for those bonuses. And also from the public point of view, they just need to develop another smart contract. So we developed this also for an, um, uh, a mobility uh, bonus that we see uh, in France and in Ireland also, uh, uh, and, and in Italy too, uh, of course. Um, another application of the same concept related to uh, the limit of spendability of, of money uh, has been applied also to pocket money. So the money that can be uh, given to, to minors. Uh, the fourth um, 
use case, the last one is called Simply Home. It is, uh, has been developed by Reply. It is uh, referred to the performance of multiple payments that are related to the purchasing of a property, uh, possibly through mortgage. So in this case, when we buy uh, the house, uh, several payments needs to be performed to the agency, to the notary, to the seller, to the bank of the seller for a, a possible previous mortgage, et cetera. And this functionality, again, a split transaction functionality, make a single transaction. So, uh, or, or you pay all the um, beneficiary that deserve to be paid for the buying of the house, for the purchase of the house, or uh, no payments are, are performed. So, and these use cases show especially the power of having a digital euro that is a liability of a central bank. So those four use cases are not the, uh, the complete examples of what can be done thanks to a programmable digital euro, but I think they give a good high level perspective of, in, of the several ways in which our experience uh, of citizens can be changed thanks to, to the programmability of money. Uh, here you can see the list of the banks that has co co cooperating with us and the partners that have supported. Um, another thing I want to underline is that we started this project uh, just before Christmas. We identified the four use cases uh, the, in mid-January. And on mid-March, the four demos was completed, were sorry, completed. This is very interesting because one of the main benefits uh, on a DLT-based infrastructure for a digital euro is the extreme uh, smoothness and the extreme frictionless way of developing new use cases and uh, replicating and, and uh, developing other way of similar, in which similar functionalities can be, uh, can be developed. I just want to leave you a, a final message. This is uh, this come from Peter Pan because sometimes looking at a, a digital euro, we can be a little bit scared and we can ask, what if I fall? But the right answer is, what if you fly? So let's try to understand which kind of uh, digital economy can expect us thanks to a programmable money. And Jonas, if you agree, I think we can switch to, to the question time. Yeah, thank you very much. So this is really a very good uh, good ending of the story and also of the presentation also got me uh, got me thinking again. So first of all, thank you very much, Sylvia and Rita, for this uh, for this presentation and to share some insights into the this Bunta project. I think it's really great that you fo focus on a practical approach. And do not um, not basically just do um, research analysis, but really also do this in practice. I think this is really impressive and really a very very good step. Um, before we go into the Q and A, maybe um, to the audience. So if you have any questions, please put them in the chat. We also have received quite a quite a few. We are very happy to discuss the next approximately twenty minutes. But if you have um, even more questions, then just put them in the chat, and I will um, forward them to you, Sylvia and Rita. So um, one question would basically be that um, yeah, you, you said that um, the, the partner banks basically kind of use Punta now um, for kind of their daily business, if 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 you want. For me, it would be like a two. two Two-tiered question. The first first question would be like for which type of activities Spunta is used. So 
when is, for example, the centralized system used and when the decentralized ones. And the second question relating to this would be, do we then in the end not need a centralized system anymore? So um, I would be very interested in your vision on that. No, the Spunta process now is run only on a distributed ledger technology. So the, the bilateral accounts are reconciled through a shared ledger. To, to, through a, a common ledger, so they they don't need they don't use centralized system anymore for reconciling the uh, Italian bilateral account. They still use centralized services for reconcile those kind kind of accounts with uh, um, foreign correspondent banks. Okay, thank you, thank you very much. Um, so, so basically, um, to, to add, add one question to this question, it's the case that in the banks that really apply Spunta, they really only use Spunta, right? So they don't use a, a, an outside Spunta centralized ledger for some kind of reconciliation for inside the Italian um, banking reconciliation, right? Did I get this correct? Okay, I'm not sure I have correctly understood i um, there are a lot of reconciliations that are uh, performed in in a bank but if we are talking about the reconciliation of bilateral accounts they are all performed through the dlt mm -hmm. but of course there there are banks basically manage ledgers you know mm -hmm. so there is there are a lot of informations to be reconciled Okay, thanks. Yeah, this was exactly the question. Thank you very much. So let's turn to the to the audience. And the first question would be about uh, digital euro and banks here. The, the question from Karim would be, um, because you said uh, that a digital euro should not like make uh, banks kind of redundant, right? But here the question would be, shouldn't exactly the digital euro do this and should reduce the needs for banks in the end? I will so I put this question to, to first, both of and you. then maybe Silvia will complement. Uh, yeah, of course. I mean, ideally, uh, you don't. You just have the European Central Bank opening accounts to all firms and all uh, citizens um, in the in the EU, uh, or even from outside of the EU, and uh, and the central banks do everything. Uh, that's clearly a model, but that model would have quite serious consequences in terms of uh, um, monetary policy, uh, financial stability. I mean, basically, it would be uh, coming back to a model that even economists have theor uh, have studied uh, of totally narrow money uh, with no credit function, no deposits. So uh, that's. That's a, an option. We understand that this would be a complete upheaval of our economic system. And we understand that the ECB is not going that way, doesn't intend to go that way. Uh, because, of course, there are consequences. So um, we do see the need of banks as uh, intermediaries and limit the function of the central bank to what the central bank is doing today, or, I mean, more or less. Of course, it can also decide to do a little bit more or a little bit less, as we have seen um, since the, uh, the start of the life of the ECB. Uh, you, you may, of course, consider that also in the aftermath of the crisis, the functions um, of, of, uh, of, the, of 
of the ECB, of the euro system, has changed over time. Uh, so it may be possible to have a different set of instruments available to the, to the central banks, but we understand from the report that was um, put under public consultation and from all the statements that are being made by um, officials of, of the euro system, that's not the way they want to go. Yeah, thank, thank you for this clarification, um, Rita, on this question. The next question comes from Valeria and basically asks, um, I think this also goes to Rita, why the end user needs to be aware of the payment instrument if it is, if it is the same currency? <laughs> well, basically, because today we do understand anyone of us, uh, not all, all, only, uh, let's say, digitally advanced people, but anyone can understand the difference between uh, a credit card and a banknote. Of course, it's the same currency, but it's not the same instrument. And again, there are consequences in mixing the two. And this is one of the issues that needs still to be clarified by, by the ECB. Um, and, and this, of, of course, links with the possible role of banks as distributors, so technical providers for the distribution of digital euro, but also the sustainability of a business model for uh, payment services in the future. Because, of course, um, and maybe I think that mm, this is uh, an aspect that will be uh, touched later on. Um, of course, uh, today, uh, a digital um, payment instrument uh, is, can be more convenient, for example, for merchants, uh, which have no problem in, in managing banknotes and coins. Uh, but of, and for this reason, they do accept uh, to pay some, some fees on, uh, on commercial bank money. Uh, if tomorrow a digital euro is just like accepting a credit card for a merchant, uh, then of course something is, uh, should have a different sustainable equilibrium uh, for the players involved in the transaction. Thank you very much. And can I add something a little bit more sure. basic on, on, this, on this topic? Uh, different payment systems have different characteristics. This is not, even, even today, this is not always clear to every consumer. But if I give a banknote to another person and, I, and then I want back that banknote, I need to convince them to give me back my banknote. This is the same thing that would happen with the digital euro, but this is not the case with a credit card. I have a period of time to, within a, a, a set of rule, within uh, if the transaction has some characteristic, and I have, uh, you know, every, all, all that is um, uh, defined in in the schema. Let me say, uh, I can. Um, uh, reject a transaction. This will not be the case with the digital euro. So this is a, a difference that has a pro and cons that needs to be uh, understood for each transaction. 
Thank you. Yeah, and I really, really like also the difference, differentiation you make that basically every um, like means of payment or instrument is indeed different. And then everybody, every person should like can consider what are the pros, what are the cons. And therefore, like the digital euro you envision, I mean, is, is something new in the end, right? So it really has a use case because it doesn't replicate we, we already have, right? Yeah. Great. So let's come to the next question um, by Barnabas. And it's, uh, it asks, um, how will you compare or relate the European Payment Initiative and the Digital Euro? So how do your banks um, actually think about these two um, initiatives in relation, if you want? Yeah, again, I... <laughs> uh, well, basically, it's, it's a little bit um, logic uh, development of what we were saying. Uh, EPI is intended as an initiative to provide a pan-European uh, solution uh, combining um, card payments and um, account-based instant payments um, for any possible current use cases, uh, so uh, online and uh, in-shop uh, purchases. Um, it's um, it's an interesting initiative. It's uh, an important one and uh, answers to a set of um, expectations that the EU authorities uh, have set since some, some time. And that's also why um, both the European Commission and the European Central Bank have, have openly supported uh, EPI. And even in the latest uh, uh, published um, um, retail payment strategy uh, by the European Central Bank a week ago, there was a statement about this, um, the support of the ECB um, uh, of EPI. So uh, we believe that, uh, again, the two um, could run in parallel if the digital euro has some characteristics. And that's also why we do believe that it should be DLT-based and not just replicate with what we already have uh, in the market. Uh, again, uh, we could even envisage that in the future we could have an API solution and in the same wallet you would also have digital euro. So there might be ways of combining the two different experiences. Then, of course, we don't speak about investment and cost, <laughs> which needs to be still seen. Very interesting. Thank you very much, Rita. Then we have one question by um, Sharoom. And again, if there are other questions, please post them in the chat. And here the question is more about support of a CBDC. So for a CBDC being free of charge, so no merchant commission, also no interchange, what would be the business model or incentive for banks and other payment actors to support it? Well, uh, I guess that digital euro uh, would be the future of fiat money. So by law, it should have the same power that today's banknotes and coins have. So um, economic um, agents would be would not refuse, as this is the case today with the with the euro banknotes, could not refuse to accept digital euro. Um, we could 
uh, and I was discussing that a little bit before, that of course the, the business model and the difference um, of uh, paying one way or the other uh, should also be clear in order for the market to devise the right business model. Uh, of course, perhaps today is a little bit difficult to devise uh, um, devise one because we don't know the characteristics of the of the digital euro. But definitely, this is an issue to be uh, to be explored uh, in depth. Um, why supporting it? Uh, well, we could even think that uh, considering the the fact that uh, banks would have possibly an even larger role in distributing digital euro than today have for cash, because cash uh, is, can be distributed by non-banks, um, then we could even think of completely different um, sustainable business models and the relationship between the central bank and the banks. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. Then we have another question by Kareem and he asks, and what added values and services do you believe should banks develop for a digital euro world? An interesting one. Oh, this has been exactly the center and the focus of our uh, experimentation uh, project in, in the last months. I'm, I'm sure we have just started understanding where the uh, how how big the iceberg could be, but um, the first um, the first use cases we tried to to develop and to understand was related to uh, specific functionalities enabled by the DLT. I mean the split transaction and the um, uh, spe uh, specific purpose money. We we can say so. Uh, there are, and I think it is important when we talk about value-added services to try focus on uh, comprehensible uh, real life of of people. So we tried to to understand something that. Uh, has now burdensome and not so uh, smooth in the experience of everyday life, such as, for example, the government bonuses, but something similar could be envisaged, for example, for a ticket restaurant or for other um, uh, kind of, uh, of money that um, are provided for specific purposes. So this, this is the great challenge that uh, market actors has for in, in the next period, in the next years. Great, so this was actually it from the, the question side from the audience. So again, uh, thank you very, very much, Rita and Sylvia for sharing your insights. I also really wish you um, all the best of luck with the project, also with the progresses. So I'm really impressed by your practical approach and I think this will really be a, a very important initiative also for the ECB in the, in the near and also the medium term future. So thanks for being uh, with us today. Sorry again for these uh, technical um, inconveniences. And yeah, maybe also one last word to the audience. We will host um, a few more events with the Digital Euro Association. So approximately every four to, to six weeks. So just uh, stay tuned, maybe um, check out our newsletter, our homepage, and we will soon communicate our next events. So again, thank you very much, Rita and Sylvia, for being with us today. I hope you enjoyed it and yeah, wish you a wonderful evening.
You too. Thank, Thank you. you so Thank much. you for the opportunity and uh, have a nice evening to all. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.